Welcome back to the React Roundup podcast. I'm Jack Thurrington. I'll be your host for today. And with me is my esteemed panel, Paige Niederinghaus. Hey, everyone. And TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And today we have a special guest. We've got Sebastian Warber. Hey, Sebastian, how are you? Hey, I'm fine and you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So why don't you give us a little talk about why you are, why you're famous? Maybe like, <laughs> you like to ask that question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm famous, but yeah, everybody maybe, said that. <laughs> <laughs> you probably heard about maybe my newsletter this week in React, maybe mm-hmm. the Docusaurus, uh, the Docusaurus project, which is the mm-hmm. static site generator that uh, Facebook is, uh, is developing and using on many uh, documentation websites that you browse uh, on a regular basis, I think. So I think that's all. <laughs> all right. You mentioned we might want to talk about React 18 this morning, and I'm curious about it myself. So what do you see as the, the big wins on React 18? I think the big wins, actually, we don't yet see the big wins because mm. somehow it lays the foundations for some some uh, future improvements, but we only we are only scratching the surface of what is possible with the concurrent features. And I think what something that I'm very excited about is all the things like, uh, you know, the there is a off-screen API that they are working on so that uh, you can, for example, move your browser history forward and then go back. And then uh, it's quite uh, instantaneous because uh, somehow there are two virtual DOMs being uh, available in parallel. So React doesn't have to re-render the previous screen. And uh, this also enables the door to predictive rendering, like maybe you can start rendering the next screen while you are hovering the a link on the previous page, for example. But when you click on the link, it can be instantaneous. So these are quite a far-fetched advanced use case, but I think it's quite interesting. And the thing is, you know, React is criticized for having a virtual DOM these days. There are a lot of alternatives that are reactive, like Solid and, and project signals and things like that. But I think there is a cost to being based on a virtual DOM and React has decided to pay it. And yeah. uh, we don't see yet the benefits of paying that cost. So uh, the other frameworks look more appealing, but uh, it's only getting started for a React something some, somehow, I think. Yeah, I'd actually not heard of the predictive modeling stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what are the, what's the feature? What, what can we look up just to find out more about this? I think it was in the in the release blog post of of uh, the React 18 uh, release blog post. There were mention of uh, the some of the, the features that I talked about, like the off-screen API and things like that. But I think it's this kind of uh, predicting render predictive rendering was uh, already in Gatsby, for example. There was a plugin oh. that was using something like I think there is a package called GS.js or something like that. Which reads your Google history, uh, your Google Analytics uh, history of your website, 
and then is able to predict based on where you are, which are the links that you are likely to click. And then it can prefetch the resource, but only for the links that you are the most likely to that is freaking amazing. Navigate. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, is, this is a bit crazy, but I mean, it's a bit quite uh, far-fetched to, to do this on your website maybe, but I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, if you can make the click uh, instantaneous, it's uh, it's still uh, quite interesting. Mm-hmm. The Gatsby plugin is, I don't think is uh, very well known and I don't even know if it's even very used, but I think uh, the it's better to predict, for example, if you over a link that you will... Uh, e- eventually click on it because it's uh, it's likely to happen maybe uh, using a uh, google analytics is a bit uh, too far to <laughs> to do this i think it's really cool yeah yeah i mean we're tracking so much of what users are doing online anyway with or without their explicit knowledge <laughs> it seems yeah. like a natural in next step for a lot of websites <laughs> yeah yeah, if you're tracking everything anyways, you might as well give the user some benefit from doing it. Exactly. So, Sebastian, one of the questions that I have, and maybe you could give us some more insight, are there were a, a bunch of new hooks that were released with React 18. Could you give us some ideas of what those hooks, what benefits they provide from, you know, we've got, we know that the, there's the use state, use effect, use ref, things like that, that have been out for a while, but what are the new hooks trying to fill in the gaps for? Yeah. So I think some of the new hooks permits to enable the concurrent features of uh, React, for example, there is a a user transition and, um, and use deferred and things like that, that permits to, to, uh, to start a transition, maybe a create some uh, low priority updates and high priority updates in different callbacks so that you can uh, see on the screen see things uh, being updated on the screen at the right time with uh, without blocking too much the main thread so this is uh, quite interesting for example for updates like that can take a long time to update on uh, on the screen for example if you have a, a search engine on uh, on your front end with i don't know an autocomplete with a very long list of uh, possible matches and then if you type some characters in an input then it takes a long lot of time to, to find all the possible suggestions so maybe you will schedule the um, the urgent update like uh, when you press on a case stroke, then it uh, it updates immediately the input. You want this to happen immediately because this is a user feedback that is uh, important for the UX. But at the same time, you don't want to delay the displaying of the suggestions for the to complete. So you will schedule a, a transition so that uh, this update is, uh, is displayed in a lower priorities. So you don't block the main thread and you don't prevent the, the UX to, to remain uh, snappy when uh, the user is, um, is interacting uh, with the, the UI. And also that it's using this external store that we discussed about uh, previously is uh, which permits to somehow subscribe to, to an external store, which is quite an abstract concept. And I think it's a bit misunderstood in the community because people think it's just about uh, um, state managers. So for example, you know that there is Redux and Zustand and, and all the state managers in React that somehow implement, implement uh, this, uh, are using this hook now so that um, mm-hmm. it permits to synchronize with uh, somehow a singleton containing your your store, your your data, and uh, injecting your data into the view in a performant way and in a way that is um, safe with concurrent React uh, features. But at the same time, there is uh, something that is not very, very widely known, is that there are a lot of external sources that you can subscribe to. And I think, for example, there are a lot of 
browser APIs. For example, you want to know if the browser, if your new is in an active state, if your window is in an active state, you can subscribe to that. Um, basically, every API where there is a DOM event being uh, being sent can be a source for uh, an external store. It can be considered somehow an external store. For example, your URL state of your browser can be considered as an external store, and you can subscribe to some uh, some slices of um, of, uh, of this store. And it's it's also uh, available, for example, with uh, React Native. For example, there are a lot of uh, APIs on which you can uh, ask uh, if your app is in uh, is in an active state, or if uh, this screen is displayed, or if this screen has the focus. This can be uh, wired to the use sync in external store. So it's not just uh, state management. It's also, I think, also many other sources that you don't necessarily think of intuitively because it's not uh, yet widely used in the React ecosystem. But I think it's a valuable hook that uh, that we should use more often. Yeah, I love that hook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I, I published an article just at the same time that you released the video about it. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, but, but, uh, Hopefully times. they both did well because, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, yeah, maybe there is the use ID hook also, but uh, I, I think it's a bit less interesting. It's mostly to to have um, the same ID on the server and then the client because it was a yeah. bit complex to, to implement in userland, but Apart accessibility uh, features and things like that, maybe there's less uh, exciting new things that we can do with with, uh, with this one. Well, it's cool to see the frameworks paying off React 18. You know, Next.js 13 and, and Remix, actually. I've been talking a lot to Jacob Ebby, and Remix has a new deferred system that's coming out that's going to be fascinating. But to see yeah. how they're doing React server components and working with streaming uh, mm. has been really cool. So what yeah. you, what's your take on all that? Yeah, the server components is also some uh, some very exciting feature for um, for React 18. And surprisingly, Remix decided to not implement this for now, but maybe they will uh, implement this later. But so there are multiple models, and we don't know yet uh, what is the best model. And I think it's only the beginning of uh, server components with the introduction in uh, Next.js. But I think both models are valuable, and it's nice that there is some kind of uh, competition between uh, returning some HTML and uh, returning uh, and uh, having uh, server components that allow you to call backend code uh, very easily from your React components. And as you know, I, the maintainer of Docusaurus for Facebook, it's a static site generator. And I'm particularly excited excited by uh, server components. And maybe it's not widely known, but uh, it's actually possible to use server components on a static site generator. So mm. we don't, yeah, we we don't do this yet. But this is uh, this is something I really want to implement as soon as uh, as possible because it's it has huge value, I think, for the for a static site generator. The idea, for example, is that imagine you have a MDX file, you know, the, the markdown format with uh, React components. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this file, this is, this is a bit uh, weird, but it is not compiled to, uh, it's compiled to, to a React component. So in the end, when you pass it to a webpack loader that uh, handles the MDX format, you get a React component in your code base. So this component becomes a, a real React component in your JS bundle. So this is uh, this is quite annoying because 
if you have um, a content-centric website like a documentation uh, like DocuSaurus, uh, this mm -hmm. code ends up being in your bundle, but it's, it's also sent in your HTML because we are a static site generator, so we render the React component, and then it's in the HTML and in the JavaScript. So somehow, when you load a page with MDX, you end up with twice the same content being loaded <sighs> in two formats. So Yuck. I think, yeah, this is one of the, the main benefits, I think, is because we don't want this to happen. We'd like to maybe just have the content in the static HTML and avoid it to being in the GS bundle so that it permits to hydrate uh, the, the React application faster because it doesn't... Uh, we, we are also losing a lot of time hydrating the MDX component when yeah. the React application loads. So now imagine if you... If you take this MDX component and make it a server component, you will end up with uh, an application that will have less, much less JavaScript to load, and also the hydration time will be greatly reduced because we don't have to hydrate all the static parts that, that are inside the, the MDX file. Mm -hmm. And how does it work with, um, with a static set generator? Basically, at build time, your webpack is able, for example, to generate the MDX content as server components. So server components are serialized to a format that is normally sent from the server to the client through a, a runtime, an edge function or something, uh, an edge.js lambda or whatever. And mm -hmm. as we are in a static set generator, we don't have a runtime. So we have to emit the, the static files with this uh, format ahead of time. So as part of your static build, I think we will emit some dot uh, .rse files that apparently that's the extension that the React team decided on. I don't know if it's up to date, but I think uh, I don't think it will change. But there is an extension that is planned to emit uh, such uh, React server component static files. And then, may, then uh, for example, when you click on on the link on your on your website, you will fetch the RSC the RSC file for the next page. And it will give you the serialized content of your, the the React component to load, and then there is a runtime that permits to to somehow render the server components on the the front end, so that you can display the next uh, blog post the next uh, blog post that you that you just clicked on. So it's a bit uh, complicated. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, just uh, a bit. Yeah, maybe I lost you a bit, but uh, I'm very. <laughs> excited by this because uh, this somehow, you, you know, I work on DocuSaurus and I think some, a fair complaint is that maybe it's a bit overkill to use uh, React and hydrate React on the front end for a content-centric uh, website. Maybe you, you can think uh, Eleventh is better, Astro is better because it has uh, Iceland and, and things like that. But I think uh, server components will solve this because somehow we will be able to have uh, somehow React Iceland on uh, on the front end thanks to server components because we can skip all the static bits and these static bits will uh, will stay on the server and we won't have to load them on the, the front end. So we will somehow catch up thanks to this feature and uh, make uh, the DocuSaurus architecture more sustainable uh, and more performant. Mm -hmm. It's interesting stuff because I actually I had no idea that your MDX components were actually coming through in your JavaScript bundles. When that it that kind of is a big deal because those MDX 
components and documentation sites can also be huge, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. like sort of the nature of documentation sites. There's potentially <laughs> a whole ton of content in there. So that can add up pretty quickly. But yeah. I, th- I think maybe we should, since you s- started talking about DocuSaurus, maybe we could just transition to that. And maybe for our listeners that ha- are just hearing that name for the first time, could you start by just mm-hmm. giving an overview of like what DocuSaurus is, what problem it's solving, why people might want to use it, that sort of thing? Yeah how it's different yeah. from some of the other static site options out there. Yeah, so um, the, the main idea of DocuSaurus is that you should be able to, to deploy a great documentation website by focusing just on your content. So basically, uh, you can init a new DocuSaurus project and just write markdown files and tweak a bit uh, some, uh, some JSON config, and then you are able to deploy uh, maybe in five minutes a website on GitHub pages. You just have to, to run a DocuSaurus uh, deploy command and then it's uh, it's online. So we make it very easy to get started. In maybe five minutes, you have everything online. And it's easy also to adopt if you already have Markdown files on a, on a GitHub repo or something. We build a quite generic... Uh, I mean, maybe you you have seen a lot of DocuSaurus websites, for example. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All of uh, those uh, React websites are mostly DocuSaurus, apart maybe some uh, using Next.js and things like that. But there are a lot of uh, DocuSaurus websites in the React ecosystem. So every time you see a React website that looks quite the same as another, it's likely... Uh, likely to be DocuSaurus somehow. So <laughs> this is because those are somehow the, the default template that we provide at DocuSaurus. So this is really easy to achieve that and get this uh, kind of uh, documentation website in a few minutes. But we also took care of giving you the right primitives to, to give you the ability to customize deeply uh, your DocuSaurus site. And uh, you will encounter now many other more complex DocuSaurus sites that, that are maybe you won't recognize that it's DocuSaurus. And sometimes I, I go to a website and uh, I ask myself, uh, is it really DocuSaurus? And I, I'm not sure I have to, to open the dev tools to, to be sure. So um, we also have some great companies like uh, Figma, Shopify, Microsoft, uh, Snapchat, Ionic, Asura, and uh, and many more that are using DocuSaurus, and they have customized it deeply so that uh, the the documentation website respects their branding. So they they added the custom navigation, they added the custom photo, they added their uh, their colors and and design system uh, tokens and things like that. So um, the goal of DocuSaurus is that you can get started fast, and then you can customize and it scales somehow with your needs, and it will be much less expensive than building a custom solution using a more generic tool like Next.js or Gatsby. So that's the idea. But we also have some competitors. For example, if you're a Python developer, you may have heard of uh, MKDocs, which is another quite interesting tool that Python developers tend to to prefer because, of, of course, you prefer to use a tool of the language that you are familiar with because it permits you to to extend it. And also, um, I think it's a great competitor. They have a, a really nice design. So there are also other competitors in the React ecosystem. For example, there is a Nextra, which is a Next.js plugin. I think it's uh, it's quite uh, advanced and uh, polished now. I think there is the version 2 that was released quite recently or maybe will be released. I don't know. Um, some I think DocuSaurus offer more features now. But uh, maybe they will catch up. I don't know. Uh, I didn't do a deep comparison uh, recently. And there are also similar tools in the Vue ecosystem. For example, there is uh, Vue Press and uh, Vite Press. 
that permits to, to do about uh, similar things. And Astro also has a docs template, but it's more like a boilerplate. So uh, if you if they add new features to their tool and then you initialize your project maybe uh, the year before, you won't benefit from the new features. While uh, the, the goal of Docusaurus is that when, you, uh, when we add new features, you should be able to upgrade your NPM package and being able to benefit from these features without, yeah. without having Absolutely. to backport the, the features. So it's a bit like uh, Create React app, but for documentation somehow. Yeah, I hate when people do that kind of, you know, you create your boilerplate project and then you're sort of stuck because yeah. the <laughs> platform is is basically yeah. kind of across, you know, the the versions or whatever, and they don't retain version compatibility. Ugh. Yeah, but at the same time, it gives you flexibility to implement things that otherwise, uh, you know, for example, uh, create React app. Uh, when you use that tool, soon you reach the limit and then you have to use a tool like... Uh, Craco or something like that that permits to override the default configuration. But I think it's still better because you at least you have the, the basis being provided by a dependency, but then you have some tools that permit you to, to enhance it from the outside. And yeah. somehow, so if I were to compare the Cusarus with Create React App, it's a bit like uh, we provide both Create React App and Craco in the same package. <laughs> somehow we, we give you the primitives also to override the, the frameworks for example any temp component you can override anything you just have to, to put a, the, the a component override that we, we call this swizzle where you somehow copy paste a component of our temp and you put it in a folder in your documentation website and you can override uh, everything you want about this component so this gives you a Great flexibility, but at the same time, it's also a bit dangerous because if we want to rename someday the component on the theme, you will have to take this into consideration. And maybe when you upgrade, some things will break a bit. So it can be annoying too. So that's life. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's a major release, it's fine. Yeah. People kind of expect a little bit of breakage. Yeah. Without breakage, you don't get any cool features. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question. And then we'll just ro rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the, the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and, and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first 
book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Now, this is really cool. I've just been perusing the website because I've built a lot of, or I've been involved in some capacity with lots of documentation sites in the past. And usually they all end up being some degree of custom thing that like, I mean, it's it's weird because building a documentation site seems like it would not be that hard. And it really isn't ah. that, right? And like, in a sense, it really isn't that hard. But then once you get into it, it's like, as soon as a requirement comes up, like, oh, we need versions of this mm-hmm. or like support versioning. And all of a sudden yeah. you're like, you're like, oh, uh, <laughs> you have to yeah. like fundamentally rethink like everything you, you've yeah. done. Like, crap, how are we going to support this? Like, how, like there are different languages or those are the things that always just fundamentally just could knock you back quite a bit. Yeah. That's also what I thought before working on Docusaurus. I started maybe a two and a half year ago. And before that, I never built any documentation website. So (laughs) I discovered the field about at the same time I started working on the project. And yeah, this is uh, quite crazy because you know, for example, as a, for Docusaurus, we care about things like SEO, accessibility, and things like that. You know, we, we try, for example, uh, there's no week that I don't spend time trying to improve the accessibility of the site so that uh, someone that is using a voiceover or something like that will be able to browse the website. I spend all the time to, for example, just uh, two hours ago, I merged the pull request that permits to improve the Airbus uh, feed of your of your blog, <laughs> you know, this, this is the things, the little details that you don't think about when um, you have never built a documentation website, but eventually you will have to, to think about all these little uh, details that, that you somehow overlook uh, before you work on this. Mm-hmm. Search as well. I, I see like search is a big feature of this. Do you want to talk a little bit about how search works in DocuSaurus? Yeah, if you want, uh, the, we have uh, some a partnership with uh, Algolia. They have mm-hmm. a program called uh, Doc, Doc Search, and uh, somehow, if you build a, an open source uh, website, I mean, a project that is eligible for a free account uh, on Doc Search, like an open like an open source project, they will run a, a crawler on your website for you maybe uh, once every day or something like that. I think you can configure the, the period. Docusaurus puts some metadata in the static HTML files that we build, and uh, the crawler run on all the pages, and uh, then uh, the, the search engine is a, available as an API, and we have an integration that permits to, to automatically add a, a search input on your Docusaurus site. So we just query the Algolia API and... Uh, and that works uh, quite uh, quite easily. And some people don't like to use a third-party uh, SaaS service like Algolia, and sometimes they don't want to pay because they have to pay if uh, they are not eligible. So mm-hmm. we have some community plugins to permit to use uh, local search plugins. There's no official uh, local search plugin for now, but there is a plan to, to build one. I think the, the ones in the community are quite uh, good enough for now, but... I know that people want uh, the, the official plugin. Uh, you know, they don't like to use uh, something that is not official, so we will have to, to provide one uh, someday. Yeah, I'm going to get up on my soapbox for a second because I've got a bunch of folks coming to me with like open source projects that they've made. And, you know, they're like, hey, can you 
talk about this. And I think the idea is that they just want to get out there and they figure that if they get a tech influencer or if they get on this week and react, you know, it's just going to blow up and everything's going to be great. But you really need to work on documentation and examples, yeah. you know, and having something like Docusaurus, like doing that so that it's done in a standardized way allows your community members to come in and, and very easily add to mm. your documentation and help you make a better documentation site if that's not your thing. But I got to say, like, when you think about like open sourcing stuff, think about the effort level of coding and then multiply that by 10. That should be the amount of documentation that you, because it's yeah. really about <laughs> teaching people how to use your thing. Yeah. Really, yeah. You know. I really agree with, with that. And I think actually it's a problem for many developers. They don't in, invest at all in, in uh, documentation, but also marketing. Somehow, yeah. you know, they build a nice project, but there is just a GitHub repository with maybe five lines uh, saying, yeah, this is the... <laughs> this the, is a the thing. You're supposed to use it. <laughs> what, am I, you want to wait, what more do you want me to say about it? Like, yeah. What? <laughs> What what does it do? Re read the, the code source to understand what what's the yeah right. The project. Oh, <laughs> and and listen, hey, I'm I'm cool with reading code. I like reading code, but you know, yeah, give me give me an entry point that's mm -hmm. easier than that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so one question that I have about uh, using DocuSaurus is you said that companies or whoever is really able to customize it to match their colors and their branding and things like that. What are the different ways that you can do that? Like, can you use SAS? Can you use Tailwind? Is it possible to use yeah. all different sorts of CSS and JS? So the, the idea is that the, the, the simple way to start customizing the Cusaurus is probably to change the color so that it matches uh, your brand. You can just uh, create some new CSS file that you register through the, the config, and then uh, we have some uh, CSS variables that uh, represent... Uh, the design tokens, for example, the colors and font size and things like that. So you can provide uh, this for a CSS file. And then by default, we use uh, CSS modules, but uh, there's a SAS uh, CSS module plugin, I think, that permits to use SAS if, you, if that's your thing. And for more advanced use cases, some, sometimes CSS is not good enough. So we provide some uh, stable class names that you can target if you want through CSS file, but we don't do breaking change on. But there are also many things that you may want to target for which we don't have stable selectors because we have to give the to to keep the flexibility to be able to refactor things sometimes. So we can guarantee that uh, no selector will uh, ever break. Of course, uh, it's a bit uh, <laughs> a bit complicated to do that. But if you want to do deeper customization, sometimes you have to also be able to to change the markup. So this is what the Swizzle feature permits you to override any time component. So in this case, you are able to somehow uh, get a copy of the of the React component that we use internally and tweak it uh, like you want, including its CSS module file. So you can change the CSS module of this uh, component or the React implementation and add your own behavior if you want. And there's also a mod which permits you to, to wrap an existing term component with uh, extra components around it. And I think it's useful because it permits, for example, if you have a, a blog, for example, and you have an article and you want to plug in your own command system, or maybe you want to, to allow users to vote for documentation, you do, you know, to provide feedback, uh, say, uh, thumbs, thumbs up or down uh, if the documentation is great. You can do this thanks to a wrapper. For example, you wrap the blog post, you create a component that renders the original blog post and in addition, put at the bottom the comment widget 
So you don't have to create a copy of the full blog post code and it permits to reduce the maintenance on uh, your side and the likelihood of, uh, of having um, things to break if you upgrade the users and we did uh, some internal change to the same component uh, that you try to customize. So somehow it permits to, to put a component above or under an existing component that we, that we already render in the, in the directory. And I think it's, uh, it's the pattern to, to use in priority because if you copy uh, our internal code and then we modify it, there is a risk that uh, your copy uh, will uh, will become stale over time. And um, it happens quite often that users forget to, to upgrade this code and uh, they wonder after why this docuserous new feature is not available just to them because, of course, they are on a version that they copied uh, like one year ago. So <laughs> the thing is, uh, is now outdated and... Uh, they don't benefit from the, the new features. So I think that's all. And just the, the ability to, to override the, all the red components should give you the, a good way to, to do whatever you want. It's not always easy because we have some opinions that uh, if you if you want a totally different layout and uh, totally different features than the DocuSaurus uh, default template, maybe, uh, maybe it's better that you start from scratch. But uh, I think we provide some uh, good... Um, structure to get started and uh, and build little customizations there are a lot of nice websites that are using the users and have nice customizations and they say it's working great for them so hopefully uh, should be able to, to do the same yeah i love docusaurus sites honestly i mean and i've seen so many of them which is the proof that it is a, it's a solid product mm-hmm. yeah. why rebuild <laughs> just, just use it i think that we have some uh, some drawbacks still we, yeah, the, um, for example, we are a small team and it's quite hard to compete, for example, with Next.js and Vercel on the, on the infrastructure, you know. Um, yeah. I, I don't do Rust <laughs> <laughs> and this is the trend uh, these days. And so um, if, if you compare build times and things like that with uh, Rust tools, uh, of course, it's, uh, we are still using Webpack and Babel and things like that by default. So we are not the fastest uh, static site generator. <laughs> Actually, I was surprised until today. I didn't know DocuSaurus was a Facebook slash Meta project. Yeah, me neither. I, I actually had oh, yeah. no idea. <laughs> so is is the motivation behind that just because I noticed like a lot of Facebook tools use it, like you said, like the, a lot of the React yeah. stuff just was that sort of the motivation to, to build this and to support it? Because I mean, it, it is like I, I'm still always fascinated by big companies giving away stuff like this for free and maintaining it because <laughs> there, there's definitely some effort and involvement to make that happen yeah uh, to i can tell you a bit uh, about the story behind the project but i was not there in the in the beginning maybe i think it was like six years ago so the uh, facebook meta had a lot of internal and external projects you only maybe see the tip of the iceberg i'm not a, an employee at meta i am a contractor working for them so okay. i can tell you exactly how it works uh, internally but I know they have a lot of internal projects and they also have projects that are external, but there is a part of uh, internal documentation that you don't see. For example, if you take the Relay project, the GraphQL client, there is some documentation that is public, but uh, they also build DocuSaurus site with some extra documentation pages that are just uh, targeting the Facebook employees. So they, they need to, to be able to, to do such things and publish uh, variants of the same site so that uh, different persons can uh, browse uh, the website. 
So they, they have a lot of uh, internal and, ex and external projects, and they started to copy-paste the Jekyll template over and over again to, to create documentation websites for each of them. But the thing, it wasn't very scalable because for the same reason that uh, boilerplate is not uh, ideal, once you add new features to the, to the boilerplate, then all the products that used it before will not yep. benefit from it. And yep. it's, yeah. <laughs> so it, it becomes a pain to maintain. And then uh, they add the ID to create a rake-based static site generator, maybe six years ago. I think uh, the Cusurus was released at, at that time. And so the first version of the Cusurus was uh, quite different. It was only using React on the client side, and uh, it was not hydrating React on the, on the front end. And somehow it was just a quite monolithic ar architecture where you run a, a click command and you provide it a markdown, a, a folder full of markdown files, and it will uh, build a, a basic uh, static website with just uh, with no React. So you never load React on your browser. And somehow the, it was quite successful and there are many projects that adopted it. For example, today there is still uh, Babel, Prettier, and uh, Latex, I think, that are still using Docusaurus and a few of our projects too. And so they wanted a, a new version of the tool. And um, so we started working on Docusaurus uh, uh, 2 maybe four years ago. And this time we are really lever leveraging React on the front end. So we hydrate React and we make a lot of uh, interactive content and we are using uh, MDX to, to make your doc interactive by embedding React components inside the, the markup so that you can uh, have some uh, nice uh, playful documentation somehow. I think it's uh, quite, uh, quite cool. And you can build uh, many interesting things thanks to this kind of feature, like maybe you can uh, add a GraphQL uh, client that permits to query your API directly inside the doc. Uh, there, there are a lot of things. I think uh, users uh, can get quite fancy, and sometimes I'm quite surprised by by uh, what people build uh, with uh, this. <laughs> but yeah, you you don't you don't have any limit because you are using React. You can whatever you can do with React, you should be able to to embed in your documentation. Nice. Yeah, I really love it when they have those examples of the API. You can just run right there and get the output. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what I like is that it's not an iframe. So, you know, there is no not a spinner that, uh, that is uh, showing something that is loading and producing layout shifts as you scroll. And it's nice that you, you have the, the thing that is running uh, directly on your on your browser in, in the current page and not uh, embedded in, a, in an iframe that takes time to load and, and produce a, a not ideal experience, I think. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, and I, I wish we could go on forever with this. Uh, <laughs> are there any topics that we haven't kind of touched on that you might want to touch on before we finished up? Well, there are a lot of topics I can oh, yeah. talk about uh, <laughs> with Rack, but uh, <laughs> this is going to be too long. I think I'm quite passionate about uh, everything cross-platform, Rack native. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm into uh, Remotion to produce videos with Rack, mm. and uh, I'm into React Free Fiber to, to render things in 3D. And actually, I'm into both of them at the same time. So I think my if money was not a problem, I could spend all my time on one project that would be to render 3D videos with Remotion and React Free Fiber at the same time and do really fancy things like create a Twitter bot that permits to congr congratulate uh, 
you know, open source authors to reach a milestone or something like that with a beautiful video. <laughs> this is a quite fun project I'd like to, to build. But you I heard it here just... first. Dune 2 will really be awesome. rendered in Remotion. <laughs> it's going to be great. I do want to hear, I want to hear about your newsletter and you should yes. g- give it a, a plug as well. Do you want to mm-hmm. just at least briefly tell people about what it is and why they might want to sign up for it? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I run uh, This Week in React. It's a weekly newsletter that I started in French uh, maybe two or three years ago. And it's, I launched it in English uh, last year. And it's growing fast. And I send you somehow uh, the, the best links of the React ecosystem every week so that you can stay up to date. And um, I think it's a bit different from other newsletters is that uh, I really um, take care of uh, selecting uh, the links that will be interesting for for experienced developers and not only for junior developers. Like I try to, to avoid putting uh, uh, things like uh, getting started in React and things that you find on on many uh, blogs like uh, Dev and things like that, that where there are too much uh, junior-related content. And the problem I'm trying to solve somehow is as an experienced React developer, uh, it's hard to find articles that are interesting to me. And mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time. You have to spend a lot of time scrolling on Twitter to find uh, the really interesting content that teaches you something new. You know, so I try I try to solve this problem for for React developers and. Apparently, uh, I do a good job because uh, people uh, give me great feedback on uh, on the newsletter. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. It's nice. awesome. Well done. Thank and you. It's <laughs> thisweekinreact.com, and we'll put it. Yeah. we'll put the same in the the show notes as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, The rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. 
Well, that brings us around to picks for the week. So Paige, why don't you start us off with your pick for the week? Sure. So if you're in the U.S. or you celebrate the U.S. holidays, last week was Thanksgiving. So it's typically a time when you go visit family, you hang out, you watch TV <laughs> a lot <laughs> or movies. And, um, and one one very fun series that we were watching that, you know, you can just pick up an episode and watch it uh, is Top Gear. So oh, it's yeah. a... British car show, but it's it's fun because there's supercars, there's challenges where they have to buy a car within a certain amount of, you know, some little amount of money. They do crazy things like rally rallying and driving around the country and pranking each other at the, all at the same time. So that was what we were watching a good bit of last week. So I'm going to pick that as a really fun, family-friendly Everybody will enjoy it of all ages, even if you're not a car person, because there's a lot more to it than just cars. So if you have some time and you want something that's easy and light, um, I would definitely say that's a good one to to choose. Absolutely. TJ, you want to give us a pick? Sure. Well, your your Thanksgiving message made me made me pivot mine because I came up with another another idea. Because you're gonna do top gear too? <laughs> no, not top gear, but <laughs> I mean, longtime listeners know that we like picking kitchen gadgets and oh. cooking gadgets on the show. And so I'm going to pick an electric wine bottle opener that, oh. that we've had for a while. And you might think, why do I need an electric wine bottle opener? Because really, at the end of the day, you don't need one of these things. <laughs> oh, the, you do. The, the only reason to do it is it's an amazing party trick. To just like have a wine bottle and to bust open this thing because basically it's it's got a corkscrew in it, but there's just a button that pushes down for the corkscrew, goes in, if you press the other button, it comes right out. It makes opening a wine bottle really easy. You can impress friends and family. They're like $25 too, so it's not like it's ludicrously uh, well, which, expensive. Which one though? I've got, I've, I found one on Amazon, Oster, O-S-T-E-R. Oh yeah. Uh, that's, that's, one, that's one we have. Um, it's, it's just a lot of fun. I don't know. Yeah. Sim- silly little thing, but you can impress your friends <laughs> and look cool. Who doesn't want to do that? that? They have to have a requirement when they're building that thing. How inebri- inebriated can you be and still, <laughs> yeah. still yeah. Hit, hit the button? You know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sebastian, what's your pick for the week? Uh, actually, uh, I already mentioned my pick. It was uh, <laughs> Remotion and uh, Rag Free Fiber. Oh. So I think it's a really uh, great uh, combination that I'd like to explore more in the future. And maybe there is also React Native Skia that I want to mention, which permits to do um, 2D graphics on the browser. And combined with Remotion, it also permits to, to do some crazy uh, videos. And this is what uh, maybe you know the William Candian YouTuber, but that creates a video about uh, React Native uh, animations and is using Remotion and Skia to, to produce uh, his videos. And I think it, it gives a really great uh, result. Can you spell yeah. that last one for me? Not in Remotion, but it's, it's, do you say Skia? Yeah, Skia. This is the um, rendering engine of, of uh, Flutter. Oh. Um, it's used on... The, um, there is a new package from uh, Shopify that's called React Native Skia, but actually this is... a this is also working on the web because uh, most things working on React Native uh, can usually work on the web. So um, 
you can use uh, React Native Skia, but somehow maybe it should be better renamed as React Skia because you can use uh, it on both React Native or React Web. So this is also a cool package to to try. But it's a bit new, so maybe it's not uh, stable enough for production usage on the web, but it's worth uh, taking a look. <laughs> and their documentation uses DocuSaurus, so... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's all coming back around. Yeah, nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's see. I'll wrap up with my pick for the week. My pick for the week is Console Ninja. I don't know if I've talked about it before, but it is from the same folks that do Wallaby and Quokka. Uh, Wallaby is a unit test helper. Quokka is a worksheet extension for VS Code, where you can create a workbook and then just kind of in TypeScript or JavaScript, just start going at it and see, you know, what this what is this regular expression cook up, you know, that kind of thing is very handy. Both of those are, I know, I know Wallaby pretty much have to pay for, Quokka I think is a free version and a pay for version, but this new one, Console Ninja, is completely free and it actually gives you the console log right there in the code uh even if it's rendering on the browser well it could be rendering in node as well on the server and it just like oh man and it's it, it's just so easy and another thing it does is even if it wasn't a console log if you have an error thrown somewhere in your execution path you actually see the error and that's i think even more convenient is that it's like right there you know in a big big red like hey you <laughs> you're referencing an undefined dummy go fix that and it's been super handy so, <laughs> big big fan of console ninja nice all right guys well this has been really really fun and sebastian how do we keep up with you besides this week in react you can find me on twitter at sebastian lorbert this week in react <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I think, uh, yeah, there are a lot of links uh, on the newsletter, so you will find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been a, a lot of pleasure, and uh, we, we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. See you Thank then. You. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.